Hello everyone and welcome to the Investing City Podcast, where the goal is to get better at investing, business, and life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It really means a lot. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different from the past 13 episodes. So the last 13 episodes, we've had guests on and really good guests, I might add. Not saying that in a braggy or kind of cocky way, but I honestly am in amazement that some of these guests have agreed to come on. So it's not like it's anything that I've really done. It's more the generosity of the guests. So with that, if you're one of the guests, just thank you so much for coming on. And I just wanted to make this episode 15 show kind of a recap of the lessons that I've learned and that I hope that you guys as listeners can take away from the 13 guest episodes. So I say 13 because the first episode was actually not with a guest. It was me kind of just blabbing about why I think investing is awesome and why I think more people should be interested in investing. But a few people have actually brought to my attention that it might be a good idea to slow down and do a recap podcast. So here we are. Okay, for those of you who really only care about knowledge and you guys are probably just learning machines, feel free to skip ahead to minute 750 because the next six or so minutes we'll be talking about Investing City and more of our website. So if you don't really care about that and you couldn't really care less about me, then please skip ahead to around minute eight. Thank you so much. A lot of people have actually reached out and said, wait, you have a website? I thought it was just the podcast. You can check it out at investingcity.org. That's a .org, not a .com, because there was a domain troll. There's a domain troll that basically confiscated investingcity.com before I even decided to make this. So if you're that domain troll, I would love to get that. But I know it's your business. So I respect that. But I basically didn't want to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for that domain. So here we are with .org. Maybe in the long run, once hopefully Investing City grows, have enough money to really pay that off. But .org for the time being. So investingcity.org, hopefully that rant made that memorable enough for you to remember that. So investingcity.org, you can sign up for our free weekly email newsletter. It sounds very generic, just like probably every podcast that you listen to, but hey, you know, free information on investing, free is a good price. Free is, I think everyone likes free. Here's a tangent. I think a lot of people think that free sometimes means that it's not great value. So if you actually slap a value on there, it might attract more attention You know, if you put a couch out in your driveway and say, hey, free couch, people are probably like, what? (laughs) What kind of crazy stuff went on on that couch? You know, that's not a that's not a weird reference. It's more just, you know, like dirt, sturdy couch. But if you put a, hey, couch, five dollars, that couch will be gone soon because there's some value to it. Anyway, free newsletter still valuable. You can also check out our subscriptions. And I'm sorry because I really hate the marketing portion of business. Because marketing 
marketing gets a bad rap, you know, sales and marketing, you got to sell if you're in business. If you actually have a good value proposition, you selling will actually help somebody in the long run. You selling somebody on your business and your product will actually help somebody if you can help them. So you have to help people see how you can help them. I That's kind of how I view sales and marketing. So I obviously I believe in a product because I'm doing it. Why would else would I be doing something that I didn't believe in? So check out our subscriptions. All right, kind of the byline is save time, boost investment results. And that's what we're here to do. Investing City is a research platform to help everyday people. And if you're not an everyday person, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> we're all everyday people. Anyway, research platform that helps anybody and everybody save time and boost investment results. So we'll do the research for you. We'll give you the best research on a silver platter, maybe even a platinum platter. Say, <laughs> Try saying that five times fast. Platinum platter, platinum. Okay. So we'll do the research for you. We have financial databases that we've built from the ground up, company notes for dozens and dozens of companies. We have our stock performance on there. We have full transparency in your portfolio, depending on which tier you buy into. And yeah, we're just here to get better as investors and to master the stock market. And so I implore you, implore is a strong word, but I think it'd be awesome if you became a member. Now I know people listening, they don't really care that I think it would be awesome for them to join. They really care about what we can do for you. So making a plug for our actual results. So the last year, Investing City has been open, and the only year that we've been open, we've actually beat the market by over 50%. So if you say the market is up 8%, we've been up 58%. That's not a trivial amount, and obviously that is only one year, so one year is not long-term, but gives you a taste of what we've been able to accomplish so far. So there's the plug, and that's the most plugging you'll ever get from yours truly. Also here, gosh, here's the last thing that I'll say, and then I'll bring it up at the end. If you listen to this podcast and you have enjoyed it, leaving a review on iTunes would, it would make me so happy. You know why? So a lot of people say like, and subscribe my channel, leave a review, you know, all of this, that, and a lot of people will probably wonder, well, why should I do that? And it's all about search algorithms. So these algorithms like Apple and Spotify, they're all optimized to actually show people what they want to hear or see, right? So if you think about it, the podcasts that have the the most reviews, just like the Amazon products that have the most reviews, will naturally get surfaced more. So by you leaving a review on this podcast, more people can see it. And what's the value add for you? Why should you do that? Well, to be a nice person, first of all. And secondly, if we can grow this, we can get more resources and we could get, I don't even think it's possible to get better guests, but maybe better sound equipment. <laughs> maybe that's the value add. Maybe your your ears will be more pleasantly treated if you just stop and leave us a review. And I'll I'll mention this again at the end. So let's actually jump right in before you get very bored of me just blabbing away. The very first episode we did with a guest was with Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, and he was just a pleasure to have on. He is literally one of the wisest men that I've ever met, 
and he had a lot of great lessons. So among them, he was talking about this idea that leaders can't push a rope. So you picture yourself walking up a mountain and you needed to get this giant rope up that mountain. The best way to get that rope would probably not be pushing it up, but rather pulling it behind you, just because that's how ropes work. And it's kind of the same way with people. In a personal sense, pulling somebody in terms of laying out a vision before somebody and kind of motivating them to get to that point is way more effective than pushing them. And pushing them, it kind of has the connotation of pushing them with maybe higher pay or better hours versus this idea of pulling somebody into your vision. And so that was one takeaway from my conversation with Doug McMillan. He also had a lot to say about how he views leadership in the context of a big company like Walmart. So Walmart, the company culture is very much embedded into the company because it's been around for so long and it had such strong leadership with Sam Walton that Doug basically views his job as a DJ. (laughs) So bear with me. The Walmart CEO is not a typical DJ, but he views leadership as him on a synthesizer board. So he's dialing up values and characteristics that he would prefer to see, maybe like ambition, but not too much ambition because if it gets sketchy and people take the wrong incentives, then that's something else to think about. So it's this idea of a big synthesizer board that he's pushing and pulling levers in order to get that right optimal balance of the best characteristics for Walmart. So that was another takeaway. A third takeaway was this idea, which is actually the title of the episode, Pour Out Your Cup. So when Doug is going around to different meetings and he's meeting with a bunch of important people, he pictures himself holding a full cup. And in that cup is all of his worries and all of his interactions and all of that kind of stuff that has been hanging on him and he just pours that out. He pours out all of his anxieties, all of his worries, so that he can be fully present with the next person. Because if he's not present and he's thinking about all these other things, it will really get in the way of him doing the best work and building the strongest relationships as he can. So it's kind of this mental trick that he uses in order to stay present throughout the work day. The last takeaway from Doug was his immense focus. So as the CEO of the Fortune 1 company in the world, there are a lot of demands on your time. But Doug doesn't seem like he's ever in a hurry, which is the crazy thing. He seems very content with the time that he's spending. He's never really in a rush. So one thing that I think we can learn from this is how he focuses his time. He talks about how he really focuses on three things, family, faith, and Walmart. So he doesn't really have any hobbies. He doesn't, well, he travels a lot because of Walmart, but there's not a lot of things, a lot of peripheral things that he does to consume time. He's very focused on the three, family, Walmart, faith. 
And those are really the three things that he's decided are the most important in his life, and so he's going to spend his time accordingly. He talked about how when you envision yourself at 80 years old, and this is actually the same regret minimization framework that his arch nemesis, well, that's what I say, but... Eh, maybe he would say the same. Jeff Bezos talks about how when you look, when you pretend that you're 80 years old or something, kind of nearing the end of your life, you look back and say, hmm, I wish I would have done this differently. Now place yourself in your current age and try to make those decisions in your life accordingly. And so that's kind of what Doug thinks about and how he lives a life with as few regrets as possible. In the second guest episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Morgan Housel. And Morgan is one of the hottest financial writers alive in terms of how fast and how much his posts are shared. I mean, he's a pretty good looking guy too. Anyway, takeaway number one from Morgan is the importance of empathy. So he talks about this a lot in his writing, but empathy is extremely important because getting into somebody else's shoes is the best way to help yourself. Pretend you have a website and you sell pet cleaning services, and your job is to create the website. Now you're thinking, okay, we have this differentiation, we have really great vacuums, and we've had so much experience, but really, what does the customer care about? That's what you have to get at. If your landing page just said, want the cheapest and best cleaning possible, like that's, that's really what people want, right? So just thinking about what your customers want and who your target market is and how you can communicate that directly to them. That's really empathy. Thinking about your business, your value proposition from another person's eyes. Takeaway number two from Morgan was his emphasis on endurance. So this is a direct quote from him. He said, the most important investing skill is endurance. What can I do to make sure that I can remain an investor for the next 40 or 50 years? So he's talking about how Charlie Munger said that the number one thing is compounding and compounding should never be interrupted unnecessarily. So therefore, endurance must be really important because time in the market is more important than timing the market. You can take that one to the bank. So investing is really about fitting your risk appetite and your personality to your investing style rather than just beating a benchmark. Now, obviously, it's awesome to beat a benchmark because a few percentage points of outperformance in the market can yield hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run, but the important thing is that you can get to the long run. If you can't even get to the long run, then that couple percentage points of outperformance or that huge outperformance won't even matter. So it's all about being able to set yourself up for the long game so that you can actually endure when things hit the fan. This is what I love about Morgan. He's very thoughtful and he is great about 
understanding the nuance in situations. So another thing he said is it's not his goal to be the best investor in the world. It's just his goal to look at his kids and his wife and say, we're going to be all right. And that's such a humble perspective. It's not actually about being the best investor in the world for most people, myself not included, but I really think it's admirable to just focus on what's most important and then be able to actually line up your actions with that. Okay, moving on to our third guest episode, we had Bert Hockfeld. So Bert is a researcher just like myself, and he's been in the business for 50 years. The man really knows information technology like the back of his hand. He's talking in-depth about all the different products and everything, but he had a very interesting perspective from the perspective of a growth investor. So typical value investors may look at a company that he invests in and think, what? That makes no sense. He's just speculating, right? Because it's not a cheap PE. There's not, you know, it's not trading at book value, all these sorts of things. But his view is basically, it's inevitable that these companies that he's invested in will be profitable and really big companies in the future. So he's talking about digital transformations, and he said, don't think companies are doing digital transformations because they enjoy tearing up a business structure that's been in place for 50 or 75 years. It's just cheaper to do it that way. I mean, if you think about AWS and cloud computing, so data centers... On-premise data centers have been so entrenched in businesses. Big IBM mainframes have been used by so many businesses that it's actually a really tough decision to go all cloud computing, even though you have all these mainframes. And he's really talking about how the world is going towards these companies that he's invested in, and he's basically following innovation. And he's looking for a few things, a few signposts in order to find these winners. One of those signposts is revenue growth. So one company he was talking about in particular is called Elastic. And they are a software provider of search solutions. So if you think about Uber or Tinder, in order to actually locate people within certain locations... They use Elastic's search technology, and Elastic has been growing revenue at over 70%. So Bert was saying, if a company grows revenue for years at 70%, basically any valuation that you can pay within reasonable limits is okay. His point was that it's time better spent actually figuring out if a company can sustain hypergrowth for a long time rather than the valuation at any point in time. Because valuations, if the market is actually decently efficient, the valuations will kind of make sense, right? But the real outperformance comes from actually figuring out which companies will grow longer and faster than the rest. 
One more maybe unconventional piece of advice Bert had was getting on a company's email list. So when you visit a company's website, they'll have the newsletter or their weekly updates or something like that. Actually getting on that list and reading through the blogs, reading through what their company management says, it's kind of a value-added thing in order to do some deeper due diligence. So that was just another takeaway. Moving on to the fourth guest episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Brent Beshore. So Brent is a wise, wise man, wise beyond his years, and we'll just have a few takeaways. So he talked a lot about kind of this commingling between business and his faith at the end. So he talked about, because no one's going to know my name in a hundred years, it frees me up to just treat people well, not get self-obsessed, and not take myself too seriously. So after our conversation, we actually were talking about faith a bit, and he sent me three books immediately. And he must have done the really fast shipping because it got here very quickly. And I just can't say enough good things about Brent. He talked about The Messy Marketplace. And that's actually the name of his book. And there's a 21-page checklist in the back of that book. And really, it comes down to people. People are at the center of the transaction. People run the businesses. People set the prices. It's all about people in the long run. And so he really focuses on people. In the public markets, there's three traditional ways to create alpha or outperformance. You have behavioral and you basically just act in a more rational fashion. You have information advantages. You actually are getting better information than everyone else. And then you have analytical advantages, where you're actually just using the same information, but in a smarter way, and you're gleaning insights that others wouldn't be able to glean. But in the private markets, Brent brings up, it's actually all about relationships. So he's talking about how steak dinners are better than spreadsheets because those deep relationships provide you the deal flow that you need in order to get good investments. So it's obviously really important. Another takeaway from our conversation with Brent was how different industries, especially blue-collar industries, can actually be very profitable. So he was talking about how profitable the water damage industry is. So if your house is under water damage and maybe you have a basement where a pipe was leaking, there's all this water building up in your house, you're going to pay a pretty penny to get that water out immediately. And he was talking about how the water damage industry, it's actually not that hard to learn the skills, so to train employees to clean up the water, and the equipment's actually not even that expensive. So all these kind of structural things, also because it's a blue-collar industry, not a lot of competition is attracted to the space, all these sorts of things make it a fairly profitable business. So kind of these aspects of business that are maybe underappreciated, it really just came to the forefront while talking to Brent because he's seen thousands and thousands of deals as he looks to buy different companies. I highly urge you to listen to our conversation. Okay, moving right along. The next guest we had on was Quinn Tabor. 
So Quinn is a young CEO. He's actually only 25, and he's a CEO of a software company called Immerse. And Immerse's vision is to provide a platform where individuals, specifically enterprises, can train their employees to acquire languages. So they've actually created a VR simulation where people can interact in a different foreign country and they have a language tutor that can come along with them on this virtual tour and learn the language that way. And Quinn, it was just a fascinating conversation because one big theme was very apparent. This idea of jumping in. So Quinn's life has been marked by by the fruits of just diving right into things. He dove right into becoming a CEO of a software company, even though he couldn't code and he wasn't a software engineer. He just dove in because he had a vision of what he wanted to accomplish and he wasn't going to let his lack of skills in the particular area defeat him. So jumping right in was the main theme, and he was talking about this idea of imposter syndrome. Basically, when you're doing something where you might not have the necessary skills or you're new to something, you kind of believe that you are an imposter. But this sort of thinking doesn't actually help you at all. He was talking about his ways that he deals with imposter syndrome because he actually believes that imposter syndrome is a bigger reason why we don't jump into things rather than fear of failure or maybe fear of how we look to others' approval. So his method of dealing with this problem was very simple. It's just realizing that everybody goes through that at the beginning. But as you learn more and more, and as you take ownership of those skills, and as you dig deeper, you eventually overcome imposter syndrome. Because you become a poster, I guess you could say. You're not an imposter, because you actually know what's going on, and you've actually put in the time and the necessary effort to become skilled at something. But those early days... You just have to get over it by saying everybody is in the same boat at the beginning. So that was kind of my main takeaway from our conversation with Quinn. Moving on, our next guest was Brian Barnes, the CEO of M1 Finance, the biggest competitor to the commission-free trading platform Robinhood. Brian was also really inspiring because, much like Quinn, he's a young CEO who's had to kind of jump right in and figure out what it actually means to run a fast-growing business. And Brian had a lot of things to say specifically around adaptation. When he started M1 Finance, they actually charged a fee to trade, but then Robinhood kind of came in and made this really bold claim that they are going to do commission-free trading. And so M1 Finance had to adapt and create a better user interface than even Robinhood, which was a steep task. But M1 Finance's solution was to create more of a different target market. So Robinhood is really geared towards traders, maybe young traders who are just getting interested in investing. But M1 Finance used that technology and used that business model of commission-free trading and actually 
wanted to do more of a slice of the pie sort of deal. So when you log on to M1 Finance, let's say you wanted to buy 10 stocks. You type in those tickers and say, I want to allocate 10% of my portfolio to each of those stocks. And it automatically buys the amount of those companies that you need in order to get a 10% allocation. So unlike Robinhood, where you buy maybe 10 shares, 100 shares on M1 Finance, you're buying pieces of your portfolio pie. And I think it's a really interesting way to differentiate themselves from Robinhood, and it seems to be doing really well. So my big takeaway in this conversation was the importance of adapting. Our next episode was with Howard Lindzen, the chairman of StockTwits and general partner at venture capital firm Social Leverage, and he had a lot to say specifically about networks. So Howard is a really interesting guy, and if you ever get the pleasure to meet him, you can tell he knows a lot of people. It's not that he brags about it, it's just the way that he keeps up his network so well. And his metaphor was that he views networking like gardening. So you kind of have to prune your network, you kind of have to water it in places that will yield the most fruit, and you just have to be wise about how you think about networks. It's not even necessarily in-person networks, it's also social networks and how you prune those, making sure that you're maybe following the right people or engaging with the right people that will help you. It sounds kind of impersonal, but Howard is a very genuine and authentic person, and he talks about how authenticity is the most important part of this process. It's not an impersonal thing where you're viewing people as commodities in order to only help yourself, but just thinking about this idea of networks as a garden was really helpful in my mind's eye. Another takeaway from our conversation with Howard was how he views the market. So there's that classic quote where, I think it was John Templeton said it, it's better to be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. But Howard actually turns that completely on its head, and he says it's actually better to be fearful before others and less greedy in general. So I thought that was a great quote because it really embodies that of a trader and somebody who is viewing markets with a focus on momentum. Another classic quote from Howard is, You don't want to be the last guy to leave a party. You have to build your own rules to be fearful when others are greedy. So he's talking about this idea of not dancing too late into the night because everybody else is gone. So just being wary of kind of the general market euphoria, I think, is a great market takeaway and a good takeaway in general. Moving on to the eighth guest episode, we had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Ryan Kruger. So Ryan is a partner at a firm called Kruger and Catalano in Houston, Texas, and he manages people's money. He is one of the most down-to-earth people out there, and he was just a real joy to talk to, and he had a lot of takeaways. So for instance, the name of the episode is called Appreciation Over Expectation, and he's talking about how that is one of the most important life lessons. 
So let's think of a couple examples. Okay, you're an investor and you expect your stocks to do a certain thing. You expect them to go up, right? You want your stocks to go up. But what if you could trade that expectation for appreciation? What if you could just be grateful for the fact that you can invest at all? I mean, so much of the world doesn't even have that privilege that is just a great way to get back to the basics of just being grateful. Another thing that Ryan was saying is that he wants to turn ROI upside down into IOR. So I really like this approach. So typically Wall Street says that ROI is the most important. If you get a certain percentage of return on your investments, then you'll be able to live forever with money in the bank. But Ryan's point is that the volatility in the market is such that if you take out 4% from your IRA or your 401k and you just kept doing that, it doesn't really matter so much the rate of return because if you just keep taking it out and you have no income, then you'll actually be left with not much money or even with no money at all. So his solution, like I said, was to flip ROI upside down into IOR. So the first important thing is income. He talks about mailbox money, that money that's coming in every month so that you can cover your living expenses. If you have income sufficient to cover your living expenses, then you can move on to the O, opportunity. If you have your income settled, then you can actually talk about upside and invest in stocks or maybe other businesses. Once you have the foundation covered, then you can move on to that, oh, that opportunity. And then R is reason. What's the reason that you need money? Is it to travel? Is it to take care of your family in the future? You really need to get into that why. Why do I need money? Why do I need a certain amount of money in the first place? So I really like that flipping ROI upside down into income, opportunities, and then reason. I think it's a much more holistic and thoughtful way to manage money. Moving on to our next guest, we had the pleasure of speaking with Kanye Machabella. Kanye is an incredibly smart guy, and a lot of what he was saying, I really had to focus because he's just speaking at such a depth of thought, like you knew he had thought through everything that he was saying. It was really interesting, and my goal was to really ask a question that he hadn't really thought through, and there was one time in there, if you go back and listen to it, but he is just such an interesting thinker. We talked a lot about processes, so one of the most important things he said when evaluating talent, especially as a venture capitalist looking for companies to invest in, he was really looking for somebody, a founder or a CEO, who was a systems thinker. So they could break down a problem into repeatable steps in order to help another person get to the same conclusion. So let's say you needed to hire somebody and you needed to make sure it was a great hire. Who can think through that problem in order to break it down into repeatable steps so that you can allow somebody else to hire at a great rate or get the best hires? 
So really breaking down problems into the first principles and then kind of going from there. So Kanye also talked about how it's really important to be a teacher. When you teach things, that's just another way that you can learn. And the last takeaway from Kanye was the importance of gratitude. Every day he makes mental notes and he actually usually journals things that he is grateful for and things that he's working towards. One thing as of late that he's been working towards is keeping two ideas that are seemingly opposite in his mind at the same time. This idea is really important because there's so many things that have this healthy tension where a lot of people think, oh, those are straight opposites. There's no way that they could coexist. So, for example, we need to be perseverant and we actually need to push through and make things happen. But on the other hand, just like Brian Barnes was talking about, we also need to adapt. So there's kind of this healthy tension between adaptation and perseverance. Which one is it? And Kanye is talking about there's usually a healthy balance between both of these seemingly opposite things because the world is complex and there's actually a lot of nuance. So I really loved that takeaway, starting with gratitude and then kind of ending with this healthy balance between two tensions. Okay, moving on, for the 10th guest, we had Jim O'Shaughnessy on, and Jim is really one of the fathers of quant investing, and he was talking about how he has never, ever went against one of his models. That's crazy because as a quant investor, he essentially has rules for himself in which he can make certain trades or certain decisions. One method he said he used in order to help him be very rational was just a simple journal. So he really talks about the idea that journaling can prevent hindsight bias. And this is a really powerful idea because in December 2018 when we had that pullback, I put this practice into action and was actually journaling my thoughts about the market and I was much more nervous than I would like to admit. And when I go back and read that journal entry, I have proof that maybe my risk tolerance isn't as much as I'd like to think it is. So Jim had all sorts of tricks in order to help us kind of combat our cognitive biases. So I really urge you to listen to that one. Our next guest was Nick Majuli, and Nick is a really popular financial blogger right now, and he does a great job of marrying finance and data analysis. So if you haven't checked out his blog, it's called Of Dollars and Data, and he does a really great job of showing financial concepts with great data to back it up. So, for instance, he has this great mega post talking about how dollar cost averaging is such a good practice. The uh, title of it is Even God Can't Beat Dollar Cost Averaging. And it's basically because the market goes up so much that if God, in his omnipotence, knew exactly when the market would bottom, 
he wouldn't actually get enough money into the market. And so Nick backs this up with great data and great charts, and you just have to check him out because he has a lot of great information. My biggest takeaway from Nick was the importance of bringing together two skills. It reminded me of Dilbert's illustrator, Scott Adams, and how he talked about how he was an above-average comedian and an above-average illustrator, and so he kind of used both of those skills in order to create a whole new category. And I think that's exactly what Nick has done. He has used his above-average finance skills and his above-average data analysis and he's created a whole new category of blogging, and it's really resonated in the marketplace. So that was kind of the main takeaway that I had from Nick. Moving on, our 13th overall episode and 12th guest was Mike Kehoe. And Mike is a serial entrepreneur, and I really loved just how simple yet effective his approach was. He really talked a lot about just getting out there as a salesperson. So he's not a software engineer. He didn't build a software company from scratch, even though he ran one for years and years and grew it from a couple employees to over 80. He didn't do that because he was so great with software. He did that because he got out there and met with people. So we talked about this example where he wanted to meet with somebody in Miami, and he was in Boston, so he wrote them an email and said, hey, I'm in the neighborhood, and I'll just stop by. And when he actually flew down to Miami, they said, oh, where are you in the neighborhood? And he said, oh, I was in Boston. And they're like, what? You came all the way from Boston to Miami just to meet with us? And this is really just the idea of getting out there and meeting with people. And he couldn't stress that enough. And I think it's really important to kind of stretch that muscle because it's uncomfortable, right? We'd rather just sit behind a computer screen and send off some emails. But getting out there and taking the extra effort to meet with people is really important. And it was my main takeaway with Mike. So moving on to the last one, we had hedge fund manager... Dan Rasmussen on, and he is the founder at Verdad Capital. And his whole thesis is that private equity as an asset class is actually overvalued nowadays because so much money has been pouring into it. And in order to replicate the strategy that was effective in private equity before 2006, he's taken the effort to create that, but in the public markets. So he invests in microcap companies that are levered, just like private equity, but trade for a cheaper valuation. So he thinks that this thesis will lead him to outperformance, and he's done it through a very evidence-based method. He also talks about in our episode how Porter's Five Forces really doesn't have any evidence to back it up. And I thought this was a really interesting concept because it's so heavily accepted by fundamental investors that market share and market dynamics are really important for overall returns. Or you could think of it as a moat. And he's really saying that the evidence doesn't support it. So my main takeaway from talking to Dan was, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence in order to create an investment strategy? 
or do we just kind of like the idea of a particular investment strategy? So there you have it. Those were the 13 guests that we had on since the year started. And we just thank you so much for taking this journey along with us and listening to the podcast. We hope you share it with your friends. And just like I said in the beginning, in case you skipped it, we would be overjoyed if you would leave a review on iTunes because it helps surface our podcast and it will help you in the long run if we have enough money to get better sound equipment or something like that. We just want to be very transparent on why we want you to do that. It's not just to kind of boost our ego. It's so that we can share these concepts and investment ideas from really smart people. I'm not talking about myself to more people around the world. So just take the time to write a little review on iTunes, and we just thank you so much for that. Again, you can check out our website at investingcity.org. That's .org, not .com. And we are just so grateful for the opportunity to take up a little bit of your time, and we just hope it was worth it. So with that, have a fantastic day.